Welcome to the Liquid Church Podcast, a place where you can hear the timeless truth of God's Word in a way that's culturally relevant and cutting edge. With each message and series from Pastors Tim and Nathan, we hope you'll discover how God's story relates to your own and that you will leave feeling encouraged. Thanks for joining us and enjoy the message. Welcome to Liquid Church, everybody. My name is Kyra, and I'm one of the pastors here, and I'm so glad that you could join us. Today, I want to tell you about two special things that are happening. First, we will be celebrating communion at the end of my message. So Church Online, feel free to grab some crackers and some juice so that you can actually join us live. Uh, secondly, next week is the kickoff to one of my favorite series, our special summer series at the movies. Uh, every August, we explore the spiritual themes behind some of Hollywood's biggest hits. It's a lot of fun, and I want to share with you a look at the coming attraction for next Sunday. Today started out as the best day of my life. I, I, I did it! I got the gig! Hey, y'all. Uh, good morning. Ice cold piragua, cherry, strawberry, and just for today, I got my mate. There's something on your shirt. It's time to make some noise. We had to assert our dignity in small ways. Little details that tell the world we are not invisible. Church, that is going to be a lot of fun. Anybody here seen In the Heights, one of my favorite movies? And so this August, we'll be exploring the spiritual themes behind movies like In the Heights, A Quiet Place, the Pixar movie Soul, and the Apple Plus comedy Ted Lasso. It's going to be so much fun. We're going to have popcorn in church next week, and we hope that you will invite a friend and join us. But today I'm actually excited because I'm sharing the conclusion to our brain-bending series, Mastermind, Change Your Thinking, Change Your Life. And for the last three weeks, we have been talking about the power of the brain and how to rid ourselves of toxic thoughts through the power of God's Word. And to do that, we've been memorizing Scripture. Have you been keeping up with it? Because I've actually loved watching you guys practice your verses. You're showing a little ink on social. Many of you have been sharing with me how this series has been resonating. And we've been basing the series on the book, Winning the War in Your Mind by Craig Rochelle. And I want to give him credit for some of this content because I have been really enjoying reading his book. And I highly recommend it for your summer reading list. By the way, I have to tell you that I have loved combining scripture with science because I grew up with a science dad, okay? My dad was a bivocational leader. He pastored a church, but he also worked and retired 30 years in a pharmaceutical company. So I like to say drugs put me through school. <laughs> now today we're closing out a series with a message I've titled, How to Have Peace of Mind. So turn to your neighbor and tell them, Bas or peace be with you. For the past three weeks, we have been saying that most of life's battles are won or lost in your mind. And because your life is always moving in the direction of your strongest thoughts, you cannot have a positive life 
when you have a negative mind. But for some reason, it's very easy to fill our minds with worried and panic-filled thoughts. In fact, there's actually a scientific explanation for that. And it's all because of a little almond-shaped part of our brain called the amygdala. Everybody say amygdala. The amygdala is the part of our brain that's wired for survival. It actually sends a tsunami of adrenaline to your brain, preparing your body for action. It says, be careful, be on guard, be ready. If you've ever found yourself in a fight or flight response, like I need to fight or I need to flight, you can thank your amygdala. For example, let's say that you're trimming some bushes in the yard and out come some yellow jackets. Your amygdala will say, be careful, run for your life and scream like no one's watching. And if that sounds weirdly specific, I may be talking about my husband, okay? <laughs> or let's say that you're vacuuming your basement and you see a huge cave cricket jump out at you. Your amygdala will say, be careful, do not let that disgusting animal from the very pit of hell touch you. Or if you're in Puerto Rico, for example, on Christmas Eve, like I was one year, and all of a sudden the ground starts shaking with an earthquake, your amygdala will scream, be careful, grab your kids and run outside. You see, God gave us that portion of our brain for our protection. Now, the problem is that the amygdala is not really objective. It's simply hardwired to protect, and it's very easily triggered. When I was a little kid, uh, we had a dog named Husky that lived with our family all of two months. And the reason we got rid of it was because it started to become aggressive. It would actually like snarl at me, would jump on me like really aggressively. And I started to become afraid. My amygdala warned me, be careful, that dog can bite. And he did, he bit my brother. So to this day, Every time I see a dog, there's something in me that's triggered and I become afraid because of the amygdala that God gave me that's hardwired to protect. I'm sorry to disappoint you, church, but I confess I don't particularly like dogs. And by the way, liquid pastors love to bring their dogs to work. And every time I see one, I wonder how in the world did I end up at a workplace with more dogs than humans, okay? But because our amygdala isn't objective, it actually needs a little help from something God gave us that's called the prefrontal cortex. Everybody say cortex. This is a logical part of our brain. It thinks logically. For example, if you hear a loud noise, your amygdala will scream, oh my gosh, there's burglars, get out of the house. But your prefrontal cortex will say, relax. It's probably just an animal. So I want you to think of your amygdala as your highly caffeinated, always on edge, high blood pressure cousin, whereas your prefrontal cortex, on the other hand, is your level-headed, thoughtful, realistic, and even-tempered uncle with a law degree. And you know what I realized writing this message? That when it comes to my relationship with my husband, I'm the amygdala and he's the prefrontal cortex. You know what I'm saying? One is all panic, the other one is all logic. The problem is that your amygdala will always respond according to its programming. So someone with my experience will actually see a dog and be filled with fear, thinking dogs are scary. Now, I don't know what that would look like in your life, but I bet. There are some of you who have experienced hurts, trauma, fears that make certain places, people, or news 
work as a sort of trigger for you. A, a trigger that fills you with anxiety, fear, and worry. That makes your mind run away with anxious thoughts and leaves you short of breath and full of panic. For example, you may have gotten lost as a child once. You got separated from your parents. And now you're a parent yourself. And every time you go somewhere with a lot of people, it's a trigger. You get anxious that your kids will somehow get separated from you. And into this anxious space, the Apostle Paul, our resident mastermind, has some powerful advice. In fact, I was surprised to learn that in 2019, year of plague and pandemic, the most shared highlighted and bookmarked verse of the year was Paul's advice in Philippians 4, 6. Now, this is our final memory verse of the series. And so today, I want to invite you to say it with me together. Here we go, church. Do not be anxious about, what's the word, church? Anything. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Now, when Paul says, do not be anxious, how do we actually define what anxiety is? Well, I want to tell you the root word of anxiety is angst, okay, which is a sense of unease. It, it's actually discomfort, it's worry, it's agita, it's a free-floating sense of dread that dominates our thoughts. With anxiety, you don't sleep well, you don't laugh as much. Instead, you worry all the time that bad things are going to happen in the future. Because anxiety is a meteor shower of what-ifs. What if I don't close the deal? Uh, if I don't close the deal, what it, will I get my bonus? What if I don't get my bonus? What if, if I don't get my bonus, what if we can afford braces for the kids? What if the kids have crooked teeth? Oh my gosh, what if crooked teeth keeps them from finding a spouse? What if they end up homeless and hungry holding a cardboard sign that says, my parents couldn't afford braces for me? I mean, you may laugh, but anxiety is no laughing matter. Anxiety is a chronic worry splinter. In fact, let me ask you a question. How many of you have someone in your family who struggles with anxiety. It's not surprising because we live in an age of anxiety. In fact, during COVID-19, anxiety was called the pandemic within the pandemic. And according to the American Psychiatric Association, 62% of Americans reported feeling anxious last year. During the first two months of the pandemic alone, March and April, there were 3.2 million searches on the effects of a panic attack. And anxiety has been increasing among young people. This is the most alarming statistics of them all. 42% of people between the ages of 18 and 29 are anxious. Church, that's crazy. We're, we're currently celebrating the Olympic Games. Have you guys been enjoying watching that? I know I have. And I have to tell you, if worry was an Olympic event, America would have another gold medal. And so Paul's advice to live a worry and anxiety-free life actually feels more relevant than ever before. And when he says, don't be anxious about anything, you know what's included in that? Everything. Your finances, your job, your kids, your health, your school tests, your college tuition, your interviews, your SATs, your relationships, all of these things matter to God. 
In other words, if it's on your mind, then it's on God's heart. And Paul says that when you pray about everything that worries you, the peace of God will guard your mind. Look at verse 7. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your mind in Christ Jesus. The fact that Paul was able to write these words is remarkable. Because if you remember, Paul wrote these words while he was languishing in a Roman prison of all places. And I don't know about you, but when someone says, don't worry about anything, uh, they're actually usually, you know, sipping iced tea by the pool, very relaxed. But Paul was suffering in prison. Most likely, he was wrestling with anxious thoughts about the fact that his life was in serious jeopardy. I mean, he didn't know if he could be condemned to die or if he was going to receive a stay of execution. Paul was beset by troubles. But instead of denying his sorrow, he found reasons to be joyful. And out of this mindset, he gives us the recipe to have peace of mind, a recipe that has been downloaded more than 500 million times today. And it says, do not be, what's the word, church? Anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Church, this is our last memory verse of the series and it will be your last scripture tattoo, okay? So next week, if you come to church with all four verses memorized and you recite them word for word, we're gonna give you free ice cream after the last service at each of your locations, okay? But you gotta say all the words, okay? No mumbling, no hiding behind your kids, because if you want ice cream, you gotta work for it and have all four verses committed to memory. So let's get in a little practice now, okay? Let, let's put our scripture tattoo is up here on the screen. So if you're new, it actually shows the first letter of each word in the verse. And I wanna invite you to say it together with me, church, okay? Here we go. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Now, here's why this verse is so crucial. If being anxious is the problem that we want to solve, then prayer is the strategy by which we receive the solution, God's peace. Anxiety, prayer, peace are links to the same chain. Now I wanna pause for a very important disclaimer because I don't wanna give the impression that anxiety can be waved away with a simple memory verse. In fact, for some of you, specifically those of you dealing with anxiety disorder, God's healing may include the help of medication or therapy and that's totally fine. If you take medication or you go to therapy, I don't want you to think for a minute that you're somehow a second-class Christian or that you're weak in some way, okay? Doctors, medicine, counselors, all of them are gifts from God that he can use in the healing process. So when I talk about anxiety, I'm not referring to medical anxiety where there's a chemical imbalance or a mental illness. I'm mainly talking about situational anxiety. Okay, certain situations that cause irrational worry, fear, or panic. And in 2 Timothy, 
uh, chapter one, Paul actually writes, for God has not given us a spirit of fear but, and timidity, but of power, love, and sound mind. Because the spirit of fear is what causes anxious thoughts. And because our thoughts can change our brain chemistry, if we accept fearful thoughts, our brain chemistry is going to produce anxiety. And what Paul is saying here is that when those thoughts of excessive worry create some anxious feelings, the best way that we can fight back is by praying. Here's the problem. For many Christians, we tend to underestimate or undervaluate the power of prayer. In fact, one of my uh, favorite Sunday school teachers would always ask me, would always ask me, um, Kyra, have you prayed about it as much as you've talked about it? Because sadly, for a lot of Christians, prayer is actually their last course of action. I've actually heard some Christians say, well, nothing else to do but pray. As if that's a bad thing. In fact, I always picture God always looking down at us and saying, and you think that's nothing? The God who can move mountains, the God who can raise the dead, the God who can heal the sick and part the Red Sea and return sight to the blind, it's not nothing, it's everything. Prayer is powerful. And as Christians, prayer should never be our last line of defense. It should always be our first line of offense. In fact, Hebrews says, let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive his mercy and he will help us when we need it most. So we can come to God boldly in prayer to find help in our time of need. Prayer is powerful. And when we pray about these things, prayer actually removes our panic and replaces it with God's peace. Now, how does that happen? Well, the answer is found in both science and scripture. You see, not only does prayer move the heart of God, but prayer actually changes the chemistry in your brain. I want you to think of prayer like a sort of physical workout for the brain that changes its chemistry. You know, as I've been uh, reading uh, Pastor Craig's book and I've been writing this message, I've actually been reading a little bit about a field called neurotheology. Neurotheology is the study of the mind and of God, a, a sort of spiritual neuroscience that studies the relationship between the brain and a belief in God. And the research actually confirms prayer changes your brain. In fact, Dr. Caroline Leaf, a neuroscientist and the author of the book Switch on Your Brain, which I highly recommend, writes the following. It has been found that 12 minutes of daily prayer over an eight-week period can change the brain to such an extent that it can be measured on a brain scan. This type of prayer increases activity in brain areas associated with social interaction, compassion, and sensitivity to others. It also increases frontal lobe activity as focus and intentionality increase. What does it mean? That not only does prayer move the heart of God, Prayer changes the chemistry in your brain. And when negative, toxic, panic-filled, and worrying thoughts harm your brain, prayer actually heals, transforms, and renews your mind. The problem is, even though we know this at an intellectual level at least, we still worry. Why? Why do we, our minds fill with anxious thoughts? 
Well, science will say that it's because you're experiencing an amygdala hijack. Okay, amygdala, remember, it's that little almond-shaped part of your brain that tells you you're in trouble, you better stay up till 2 a.m., and you better worry all night because this is a disaster waiting to happen. You got to work harder. You got to take control because you're in trouble. Scripture, on the other hand, says our minds fill with worry because we are full of sinful thinking. Now, let me ask you, well, what is so sinful about being worried? Well, let me tell you what worry actually is. Worry is the sin of distrusting the promises and power of God. When we worry, we're essentially saying to God, Lord, I don't trust you. Lord, I don't believe you care about what I care about. Lord, I don't believe you're going to come through for me, so I've got to hold on to this worry because ultimately I don't trust you. And Romans 8 actually tells us letting our sinful nature control your mind leads to death, but letting the spirit control your mind leads to what's the word, church? Life and peace. And that's what Paul is getting at in Philippians, that instead of letting worry invade our minds, which is our sinful nature, we are to pray to God and allow his spirit to direct our thinking and fill us with his peace. Instead of allowing anxious thoughts to run my mind in all sorts of fearful ways, I'm going to pray about all of it so that I can have the outcome that I really want, which is his peace. In other words, I'm going to let my prefrontal cortex, remember my logical cousin, part of my brain, choose what is spiritual. I'm going to take my prefrontal cortex and I'm going to think about whatever is true. I'm going to think about whatever is pure and whatever is right. Remember that verse? Instead of letting my amygdala fill my mind with anxious thoughts, we're going to take every thought captive and we're going to make it obedient to Christ. Now, from a scientific standpoint, we're going to let the prefrontal cortex take the amygdala by the tail and say, you quit being irrational because we're choosing the spiritual. We're giving this to God. And when my irrational fears start to get in the way of my peace, I stop, I grab that thought, and I pray. And here's the thing. All of us have something that we're worried about. For instance, you may be a perfectly peaceful person, except when it comes to your children. You feel anxiety about your kids. Your mind races with terrible thoughts. Something's going to happen to them. Uh, I'm going to lose them. Or maybe you feel anxiety about conflict. You hate it. You avoid it. It just makes your heart race, your hands sweat. Maybe you have an irrational fear of getting fired. And when you wake up on Monday morning and you look at your calendar, it fills you with dread. What is it for you? Church, I'm curious. I want to ask you, what is it for you? Like, how would you complete this sentence? I feel anxiety about fill in the blank. Well, can I tell you some of my worries? You know, for the longest time after my son Andy was born, I worried about his speech. Many of you know that I am the proud mama of one of the sweetest kids in the world. His name is Andres, we call him Andy, and he has Down syndrome. And for a long time, I worried about what would happen to my son if he couldn't learn to speak or if people couldn't understand him once I was gone. Until I met one of my favorite special needs mama and she gave me the best advice that I've ever heard to this day. She said, Kyra, You need to find a place for Andy's disability 
and then you need to put the disability in its place. And it clicked for me like that, that putting the disability in its place actually meant I need to start praying about the very things that are worrying me about it, which in this case was his speech, because I realized if it's big enough to worry about, it's big enough to pray about. And church, I have been praying for 10 years for my son's speech. Ever since my friend gave me that advice, I've had a calendar appointment with myself to pray for his speech. Yes, that is my calendar. I know people think pastors only work on Sundays, but I'm here to tell you that is simply not true, okay? For three years, when my, first, when my son was born, I had one simple prayer. Lord, I want to hear my little boy's voice. Can you unleash his tongue? I prayed that for three years. And then when words started to come at age three, I started praying, Lord, I want more. Can you bring new words to Andy's lips? When he got up to 50 words, I started praying, Jesus, let Andy's words be intelligible. For 10 years, I have been praying for my boy every day. I actually have journals with a list of his words. And every time that he would say something new, I'd run to my journal and I added the word and I said a prayer of thanks. I said, Lord, he said his last name so clearly. Thank you. Or Lord, he learned to say, beat that cheap. It's so cute. Thank you, Jesus. Or Father, this was last month. He started saying his age. He's 10 and he can say it. And I love his little boy voice. Thank you for letting me hear it. And over time, do you know what that prayer time and what the Holy Spirit has done to the chemistry in my brain? Where I used to be filled with worry over his future, and in some areas I still am because I am a work in progress, in the area of his speech, I feel a deep sense of peace. Because if it's big enough to worry about, it is big enough to pray about. And you have, some of you have very valid concerns, legitimate reasons to worry. But I want you to go back and I want you to look at the first part of Paul's recipe. Because here's what he writes. Here's what you should feel anxious about. Be anxious for nothing. I mean, Paul could have wrote, be anxious only about the big stuff, okay? Or he could have wrote, be anxious only if the doctor calls but doesn't leave a message. Or be anxious during the month of September, just in time for a new school year. But Mastermind Paul actually doesn't leave any leeway here. He writes, be anxious for, what's the word, church? Nothing. And remember, when he wrote this, he was an old man gazing out the window of a gloomy Roman prison. So it's even more incredible that Paul's recipe for peace actually begins with a command to rejoice in the Lord while he's in prison. This is what he says, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice, the Lord is near. How, I ask, is that possible? It's possible because the Apostle Paul had a bedrock belief in the sovereignty of God. Sovereignty is the biblical term that is used to describe how God is in complete control of the universe, including your life. If you look in the middle of the word, you actually see the word reign. God is reigning or ruling over everything. Every element in creation, 
from the sand in the sea to the stars in the sky. He created it all. He named, sustains, and controls it all. And the apostle Paul was convinced God is in complete control of his life. Can you actually say that, church? Can you say God is in complete control even when life feels out of control. Your father is in control. Your life is in his hands and everything is going according to his perfect plan. In fact, in chapter one, Paul actually shines a spotlight on God's sovereignty. Here's how, what he says. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. What does it mean, church? It means you're not a victim of chance. You're not a victim of random circumstances. God has begun a good work in you because you're a child of God. You're a beneficiary of a perfect plan by a loving father. It's the sovereignty of God that has actually sustained my prayers for 10 years for my son, Andy, because I know that his life is in my father's hands. But this is the key, guys. Trusting in God's sovereignty actually means that you have to release your desire for control because at its core, Anxiety actually comes from a perceived loss of control. When you're in control or a sense of control, it creates a false sense of security. But when you're uncertain about the outcome, you feel restless, you start to get worried and you start to feel anxious. In other words, anxiety increases as control decreases. And that's why most stressed out people are control freaks, okay? Anybody here have a control freak in your family or work? Don't point to them, but think about them. The more that they try to control the world, the more stress that they cause. So what do we do? What are we to do? Do we try harder to control everything? Uh, never board a plane without a parachute maybe? I don't know, wrap our kids during the pandemic in bubble wrap? Maybe that actually is a good idea, I don't know. When they leave the house, never give your heart away to anyone for fear of having it broken. And church, I get it, we all do this. Every single one of us has a box full of worries, a box full of things that concern us and worries us. And the thing that you have to understand is you're not alone, okay? That is actually the good news. God is with us. And so when you're worried about something, what you do is you take your worry, you take your anxious thought, and you say, I'm going to make this thought captive, and I'm going to give it to God. And now I'm going to step away, and I'm going to wait. One, two, three, Lord, you there? Four, five, uh, God, because if you are, you know, I really need you to take care of this now. Six, seven, uh, Lord, if you actually cared about what I cared about, you'd be moving right about now. Seven, eight, Lord, maybe in Espanol, Jesus. Tahai, nueve, diez, and nothing happens. 
And so you start to freak out and you take it back from God and you say, Lord, I'm sorry. I gave you a chance, but you didn't show up. So I got to take back this worry because I got to take control. But then you come to church and you hear a sermon and you feel convicted and you say, no, 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 no. What am I doing? Lord, I trust you. I trust you with every part of my life. So I'm going to give you my worries again. I'm going to give you that anxious thought and now I'm going to step away for real. Okay, I'm going to wait. Okay, I'm waiting. Waiting again. One, Lord, you're going to show me who's in control, right? Two, three, Father, I'm here. I'm waiting. Four, five, God, I don't see you moving. If you really cared about what I cared about, you'd show up about now. Six, seven, and eventually, the very thing that you just gave to God, you take again. Why do we do this? Why can't we release control and trust that God has it? Why do we take the very thing that you gave to God and take it back to us? You say, God, I don't really trust you with that. I don't see what I want to see, so I'm taking it back. Why do we do this, church? Because we think God is too small and your worries feel too big. But I'm here to tell somebody today that our God is bigger than your worries, okay? God is bigger because he is a sovereign God who reigns over your life and over your worries. And once you understand that true peace doesn't come from the absence of problems, but from the presence of Christ, you can look at whatever situation that's causing you to worry, and you can breathe a sigh of relief. God, you are in complete control. And so you take whatever worry is dominating your thoughts, and you say, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, I'm gonna present my request to God. Or like Peter says, I'm going to cast all of my anxiety on him because he cares for you. And if you do this, church, I promise you, I promise you that the peace of God that transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and mine. Now I know that some of you here today are going through circumstances that are extremely bad. You're going through a divorce. Maybe you're going through a trial separation. Perhaps you suffered some abuse or some other trauma. You've been unemployed. Maybe your child has been having suicidal ideation or they've been bullied at school. Can I tell you, with all of the love that I have for you as a pastor, I want to tell you today, your circumstances may be bad, but your God is still good. Your God is still near to you. His promises are still true. His love for you is unconditional. His grace is still amazing, and his timing is still perfect. You may not like what is going on, but you can still praise God for who he is. You can allow him to fill your mind with the peace that surpasses understanding as you give to him your cares. And so what I want to ask you to do today is not just give your worries over to him. I want you to give all of your life over to him so that you're hidden in God in 
Christ Jesus, because your whole life is in his hands. You trust in God's sovereignty. When you feel anxious, you stabilize your soul with God's sovereignty because he controls every detail of the universe, including your life, your health, your family, your job, your kids, your parents. And so what I want to do today is I actually want to give you three very practical steps that you can put this into practice. Because it's not just knowing at an intellectual level, I'm gonna give my anxious thoughts to God. What I wanna teach you today is how to do that practically. And the first thing that I wanna tell you is, do only what you can do. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, what I mean by that is that you have a, if you have a test coming up, you're not just praying, that God gives you the answers through osmosis, you're actually doing your part by studying, right? Like if you want to get in shape, you don't just pray your way to shape. You exercise, you eat right as you pray for God to help you. If my son's speech is delayed, I'm going to take him to therapy. You do only what you can do. And then you give God what only he can do. I can't physically make my son speak faster. I can't make him learn quicker. You may not be able to change the fact that you were let go from your job. So we give it to God and we pray about it. And I want to show you how do you actually pray to a sovereign God? Because half of the time we pray as if God doesn't really know what's happening and it's our job to inform him or actually tell him how things should go. But what I do in these moments is I actually invite the presence of God into my life through very specific simple breath prayers that I say over and over and over. I want to give you an example, okay? I breathe in and I say, Abba, Daddy. And then I exhale and I say, I belong to you. I breathe out worry. I breathe out peace and I breathe out anxiety. Can we do that together, church? Can we actually breathe in and breathe out? Let's breathe out anxiety. And let's breathe in peace. And then after you do that and you pray your, prayer, your breath prayers, you trust God no matter what. Because of who he is and because of his sovereign character, I'm going to do what I can. I'm going to give to God what only he can do and I'm going to surrender control. Because of his goodness, his faithfulness, and his sovereignty, I can let go of control and I can trust God no matter what because he is sovereign and you are not. So I actually want to do something very liberating right now. I want to invite you to put your right hand on your heart. And I want to say, raise your other hand. And we're going to repeat this together. I want you to repeat after me. Today, I resign from running the universe. Today, I surrender control to my sovereign Savior. And now everyone... <sighs> Exhale. Whew. Doesn't that feel good? 
Don't you feel lighter? I feel like I just lost like 20 pounds. <laughs> Wish that were real. Text a friend. Hey, good news. I just resigned as CEO of the universe. I gave control back to God where it belongs. Because when you do that, I promise you, the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And to finish our time today, we're going to celebrate with communion. Because on the cross, Jesus literally said, Father, into your hands, I commit my spirit. He literally says, Father, I am throwing myself into your hands. Church, that is 110% trust in the worst circumstances that any human has ever experienced. If ever there was a moment for someone not to trust God, it's that moment of Jesus on the cross. And yet he flings himself on the sovereignty of his father and he says, I can trust you, God, in the worst because I know you are preparing for me the best. And in 2 Corinthians, Paul actually writes in verse 21, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And so what I want to do right now before we partake is I actually want you to think about what worries you. And I want you to tell the Lord, God, I'm going to release control. You already surrendered control of the universe. So now confess it to God and tell him, Lord, I'm going to give this worry, this care, this concern, this thing that I'm obsessively thinking about that keeps me up at night. I'm going to give it to you and I'm going to trust in your sovereignty because my God box is bigger than my worry box. So I want to invite you to take a moment right now of silent prayer. This is a moment between you and the Lord. And I want you to go ahead and say, I am giving you my burden, Jesus. God, I know right now there are so many people in our church that are overwhelmed with anxious, runaway, negative thoughts. There are situations, Lord, that keep them up at night. Don't let them sleep. But Lord, you invite us to actually release all of our cares into your hands. That is the work of Jesus on the cross. And so, Father, I pray that you would actually exchange that we would give to you our burdens and we would instead receive your peace the peace that paul speaks of not like the world gives it not a temporary peace not a peace that fades a peace that transcends all understanding we thank you that we know who our lives are in our whose hands are our lives in we thank you that we can trust you and we thank you lord that you are a sovereign god and we pray all this in your son's name, amen. Church, I want to invite you to, if you're a follower of Jesus, to actually take the bread, which is Jesus's body broken for you. You can go ahead and eat it now. And then take the cup, 
which is Jesus' blood shed for you. And we're going to end our time by worshiping Jesus. Thank you for joining us today. If you want to check out Liquid Church for a weekend service, small group, outreach, or clean water trip, you can find out more about us online at liquidchurch.com. And if you enjoy the podcast, go ahead and subscribe or share it with a friend. Thanks again for listening.